Welcome to the Theological Touchpoints podcast. I'm Julian. The focus for today's episode is Touchpoints at the intersection of biblical theology and everyday life. Do you know what you believe about hell? Why do you believe it? Could you defend it? If you're like most of us, you've been taught that we will all live eternally in one of two places. There are two choices we can make, and two destinies available to us, eternity with God in heaven, or eternity in hell under God's judgment. Those who believe in Christ will experience the blessings of heaven. Those who live in rebellion against God will suffer God's judgment in hell. Hell, we are told, is the place of eternal conscious torment where sinners experience the just punishment for their sins. But what if we're wrong? Recent scholarship has resurfaced an alternate view of hell, one historically known as annihilationism. In this view, the damned are not subject to eternal suffering, but rather experience an eternal death. That is, they cease to exist for all eternity. Eternal damnation in hell is not unending conscious torment, as the traditional view holds. Rather, the fires of hell consume the sinner, and he is annihilated. This has been developed by a number of scholars, but really it's been popularized by people like Edward Fudge and, more recently, Preston Sprinkle, who brought this idea into mainstream Christianity. This view, annihilationism, is also called conditional immortality. In this view, it's taught that God grants immortality, grants eternal life upon a condition, faith. Those who believe live forever in God's presence. Those who rebel die in hell. Hell is the place where they are annihilated, eternally ceasing to exist. This view is gaining a significant amount of traction in parts of our Anabaptist movement. It's not going away without a fight, and we need to know how to think about it. Hell is not as common in our conversation as it was 500 years ago, 300 years ago, or even 50 to 70 years ago, my grandparents' generation. Because we don't talk about it, many of us don't understand it as we should. When we hear new ideas about hell, we tend to either ignore them, not knowing what to say, or we give a knee-jerk response that reveals more of our ignorance than it does any biblical grounding. We haven't been as faithful as we ought to have been guarding the theological door, and it's starting to show. As I said, conditional immortality is gaining traction with our people. And the first question I have is, why? Why is our movement, which purports to be built upon Scripture, so confounded by the claims of conditional immortality? We're found with our proverbial pants on the floor, unprepared for the resurgence, and uncertain how to respond. A main cause, in my opinion, is that we've neglected Scripture to favor tradition. Rather than searching Scripture ourselves to discover the truth, we're content to hide within the body of faith and practice established by those before us. We have adopted the faith of past generations, but have not busied ourselves to understand the biblical truths that undergird that faith. We have an exoskeleton, but that without a living organism inside. Please understand that I do believe the exoskeleton of Anabaptism to be valuable, in many ways biblical, and worth preserving. Yet it does nothing for us if we do not ourselves understand why we do what we do and why we believe what we believe. Hell is just one of the issues where we have been compromised by our lack of biblical understanding. We can only recover the truth by studying God's Word. 
things that slide into the periphery are brought back to their proper center through Scripture. In this series of podcasts, I will attempt to deal with conditional immortality or annihilationism somewhat comprehensively. Uh, There will always be more that can be said, but I will try to emphasize the main points uh, such that we have a good understanding of the central ideas of conditional immortality and also know how to interact with it and how to respond from a biblical framework. Questions I'll be asking include, what is hell? What is conditional immortality? What are the central ideas of of that belief system? What are the biblical arguments for and against conditional immortality? How should we respond to it as Bible-conscious believers? And finally, what are the consequences of believing conditional immortality? These and more we'll get into in the ongoing discussion. But first, some more words on our approach. First, when analyzing some new idea or an old idea that's resurfaced in this case, we need to make sure our response is based on Scripture. To be sure, most ideas that are new are not true. Yet we shouldn't just reject an idea because it's novel to us. Rather, we need to examine Scripture to see what God says about it. When dealing with an issue such as this one, we do not need to be afraid of it. The truth can defend itself. So we should ask ourselves, do we trust that the Bible can bear the weight of these assaults? We do not need to fear the truth. Let's judge these claims in the light of Scripture. A Scripture is sufficient to lead us to the truth, and it is sufficient to defend the truth. We also should acknowledge here at the outset that part of the reason we don't talk about hell is that it is a difficult belief. Hell, as Scripture depicts it, is horrible. It is a place of pain, anguish, and suffering. It should grip our souls that sinners will suffer there. Hell is real, hell is terrible, yet we shouldn't turn in anger at God for executing such judgment. Uh, That's the response of many people when they think about hell this way. They look at God and say, how could you do this? Uh, Rather, we, we need to understand that hell is the just consequence for sin. That's what God has revealed in Scripture. And so we, rather than turning in anger at God, need to grieve the choices of the sinner that earn him God's judgment. What Jesus said about his executioners is many times true of the sinner. They do not know what they are doing. We should not rejoice in the reality of hell. It is a sober reality, difficult to accept if we truly understand it. In fact, if you find hell easy to believe, you may not truly understand it. Recognizing the severity of hell both leads us to be grateful to God for his mercy, and it causes us to yearn all the more for the salvation of lost sinners. Hell is what we all deserve. We all would experience hell if God gave us justice. God, in his grace, offers us salvation through Christ, rescuing us from hell's fiery judgment. Hell is not an easy belief It's also not something that we should use as a weapon. Uh, We must recognize that hell is not a rod we use to beat up unbelievers or each other. Uh, We don't mock those who are heaping up destruction for themselves. We must certainly avoid all self-righteousness. If we think that we have escaped hell by our own merits, 
our wise choices, our superior obedience, or anything else that includes me or I, if we think that about ourselves and then turn and look down at those whose sins are leading them to hell, it reveals we don't understand the severity of our own sin or the magnitude of God's grace. If we think that we've escaped hell because of ourselves, that that our own goodness caused us or led us away from hell, we are gravely mistaken. So again, hell is difficult to think about, difficult to talk about if we really take the words of Scripture at face value. Recognizing the grim reality of hell should lead us both to humble worship of God, recognizing what he's done for us and saving us from judgment, and should lead us to sacrificial love, laying down our own lives uh, for the sake of others, and especially for the sake of those who don't know the gospel, who are living in rebellion against God, and who will end up in hell if they do not experience God's grace to them. So I want to zoom out a little bit before we continue our discussion and look at three historical views of hell just briefly. There are three prevailing views of hell that have been held by the church historically. The traditional view, which is held by most of the Western church, is that sinners will suffer eternally and consciously in hell, uh, hell being described as eternal conscious torment. This judgment is understood as the right and just consequent, the right and just punishment uh, for these sinners because of their sin, not as the overflow of a temperamental and wrathful God, but rather as the correctly applied justice of a perfectly righteous and holy God. Uh, The first view, again, traditional view, uh, eternal conscious torment. Uh, The annihilationist view, which we've already talked about a little bit, and in following episodes we're going to look at in more detail, is that sinners are consumed in hell and cease to exist. They are annihilated in hell. This is the annihilationist view. Um, We've also talked about conditional immortality. Um, These are essentially the same view. There are some uh, probably some distinctions between one or the other, but a lot of the the claims overlap. Um, The main reason for the difference in language, as I understand it, uh, annihilationist view puts the emphasis on the soul being annihilated, being wiped out. Uh, The assumption is that a soul that would otherwise be eternal is cut off. Uh, Conditional immortality actually believes that we are not created immortal. We're we're created fully mortal. And then uh, part of the promise of the gospel is that if we believe in Christ, uh, we we will be given everlasting life, given eternal life. So immortality in the the conditional immortality view, immortality is not intrinsic to human nature. We're not born immortal and we won't live eternally uh, by nature. The only way to live eternally is putting faith in Christ. Those who reject that, according to the annihilationist view, those who reject the offer of the gospel are uh, not given immortality and are annihilated in hell. Uh, They are consumed in hell and cease to exist. The third view of hell is universalism, and it's probably a stretch to say that this view of hell has been held by the church, because generally when you're dealing with universalists, they're so far removed by any form of biblical doctrine that it's difficult to actually call them Christians. Um, This view, universalism, holds that all men will eventually be reconciled to God, and if you've heard of or you've read uh, the book Love Wins by Rob Bell, uh, he believes universalism, and essentially it's that through one means or another, God will eventually reconcile all men to himself, uh, saving even those out of hell uh, to himself. 
and in the end, everyone is saved. This third view has been roundly rejected by all Orthodox believers. Uh, universalism is generally understood to be incompatible with Scripture. It's a nice idea. Uh, it sounds good. It appeals to our emotions in a certain way, but it really just doesn't fit with how Scripture presents the gospel at all. Um, the annihilationist view has been held by notable figures in church history. Uh, going all the way back to the early church, you can find people who at least wrestled with the eternality of hell and, and were open to other explanations. But though there were notable figures who did hold to annihilationism or uh, a view similar to that, it was never accepted on a broad scale as compatible with Scripture or consistent with biblical Christianity. So there were select figures in church history who held to annihilationism. Uh, a good number of quasi-Orthodox scholars of the 20th and 21st century are uh, annihilationists of one form or another, uh, N.T. Wright being a prime example of that kind of scholarship and that view of annihilationism. But the traditional view is the most common, and I, I think it's right to say that the traditional view is so prevalent among evangelicals and among Anabaptists that most people are only vaguely aware that other views of hell even exist. Um, hell is usually assumed to be eternal conscious torment. So that by way of a brief introduction to um, historical views of hell, uh, we want to spend a little bit of time looking at what hell is as described biblically, and then uh, in the next episode, we'll get into conditional immortality specifically. That's the idea of hell that has resurfaced more recently, and that's really what this series is focused on. Uh, but before we go into that, let's talk a little bit more about what is hell. Uh, before we explore the claims of conditional immorality, we should get a grasp of the biblical descriptions of what hell is. Now, in our conversation, the what of hell is distinct from the eternality of hell. What we're looking at right now is just the descriptions of, of what's going on uh, in hell. What is the judgment? Um, not necessarily looking at, is hell eternal or will sinners suffer in hell eternally? Uh, we'll get into that later, um, but for now, we're just focusing on the what of hell. The New Testament primarily uses two words to describe the place where the wicked suffer. And these are probably familiar words to you. The one word is Hades, and the other one is Gehenna. Hades is used of the temporary dwelling of all of the dead, both of the believing and the unbelieving. Now, Hades is sometimes mistranslated as hell. That's probably an incorrect translation. Um, in context, Hades usually points to the place of the dead, uh, probably temporary place where their souls live until the final judgment, when there is the resurrection of the just and the unjust, when all the dead come before Christ, and Christ has the sheep on his right and the goats on his left, or the great white throne judgment talked about other places in scripture. Um, so Hades is the place where all the dead go to await the final judgment, both the righteous and the unrighteous, both the just and the unjust, both the believing and the unbelieving go to Hades uh, for a time. We're not given a lot of detail about Hades, but it seems that includes both a region of blessing and a region of suffering. As we think, for example, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, Lazarus is in what's called Abraham's bosom, and the rich man is suffering in Hades, and uh, they can see each other talk at least across a, a chasm to each other, and this seems to be picturing Hades. Christ talking to the thief on the cross says, today you will be with me in paradise. This would likely refer again to Hades 
which again is not a place entirely of suffering, but is simply a holding place. And though we aren't given a lot of detail about it, again, it seems to include both a region of, of blessing and bliss and comfort for believers, for the righteous, and a place of, of suffering, at least um, a measure of suffering for those who were unjust, for those who uh, lived in sin and rebellion against God and died in rebellion against God. As we go to Revelation, Hades is thrown into the lake of fire and is ultimately destroyed. So again, Hades seems to be temporary. It's ultimately destroyed in the lake of fire, and uh, those who are judged eternally are thrown into the lake of fire. The other word that you're probably familiar with that the Bible uses to talk of hell is the word Gehenna. Uh, it's a transliteration of the Hebrew Gehinnom, uh, which is uh, refers to the Valley of Hinnom. This valley was located southwest of the old city of Jerusalem, Tophet in the Valley of Hinnom was at one point a place of sacrifice to Molech, where uh, children would have been uh, burned in the fire and sacrificed to Molech. Uh, it was desecrated when idolatry was stamped out during intertestamental Judaism, and this valley became a place of refuse where waste, dead animals, and unburied criminals were thrown. By the time of Christ, it had become synonymous with the place where the wicked would be judged, the place of divine judgment. So again, Gehenna is the word that is used in the New Testament typically to refer to hell. Christ uses this word the most. Eleven of the twelve uses in the New Testament are from the lips of Jesus. Uh, Revelation also speaks about the lake of fire and the lake of fire and brimstone as a place of judgment. This seems to be one and the same as Gehenna. Uh, death and Hades are thrown into the lake of fire, signifying that death and the grave are being eternally conquered. But we do not read of Gehenna being thrown in, so it seems that Gehenna is one and the same as the lake of fire spoken of in Revelation, and the descriptions of Gehenna and the sufferings of Gehenna and so forth are similar to the descriptions of the lake of fire. So that's a bit on the New Testament language referring to the, the place of hell, uh, just a brief introduction um, about the place. Um, another question, what about the sufferings of hell? Um, how is that described of in Scripture? And the Bible speaks about this uh, various ways. The sufferings of hell, the judgment of hell, are described as uh, punishment, as a judgment, as death, destruction, and fire. It's described as a place where the worm is, uh, the worm being described there being uh, something similar to a maggot, um, a, a consuming type worm. Um, it's a place of darkness, where sinners experience indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish, and where they live in agony, uh, weeping and gnashing their teeth. Um, All of these being the way the Bible describes the judgments of hell. Um, It is outside the presence of Christ. Uh, He says, depart from me, you cursed. So all of this describing hell as a place of of suffering and pain and anguish, uh, we can get hung up trying to describe exactly what hell is like. I don't think that's as much the point of the biblical language it's perhaps less important to describe the full detail of hell than it is to recognize that hell is a place of excruciating agony. The various sufferings spoken of in Scripture communicate to us the awful reality of hell. Hell is spoken of as a judgment, the Greek word krisis, and a punishment, the Greek word kolosis. It is the place where sinners experience the just consequences for their sins. It is thus the deserved consequence for rebellion against God, None will suffer in hell beyond what they have heaped up for themselves during their time on earth. God's justice is perfect, and he will judge according to what is fair, just, and good. It is important for us to understand that sins against an infinite God, the thrice holy one, 
are liable to infinite punishment. It is not our place to decide what justice is. Rather, we seek to understand from God's word what he says justice is. And we conclude, hell is the just judgment God executes on sinners as a consequence for their sins. Thanks for beginning this journey with me. Hell is certainly not the most pleasant conversation piece, uh, but it is important biblically, and we need to know what the Bible teaches. It's said that Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. Perhaps it's easier to get hell wrong than heaven. And so it's important for us to understand what Scripture says about this. I hope this journey, this podcast, and the ones that follow helps ground you in the firm realities of Scripture, growing both your love for it and your trust in the author of it all. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Touchpoints podcast. This podcast is a production of Sword and Trumpet Ministries. For more information, visit swordandtrumpet.org slash podcast or theologicaltouchpoints.com slash podcast. If you have thoughts or questions, you can contact us at podcast at theologicaltouchpoints.com. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it.